Hello, and welcome to Round the Table. I'm Ben John from Christian Concern, and it's a joy to be with you again uh, this week as we think about the issue of uh, abortion buffer zones and a possible uh, restriction that could be placed on uh, Christians and pro-lifers outside abortion restrictions. Please do put in the comments where you are. Uh, please do say hello. It's always a joy to see uh, where you're tuning in from. And really important, we'd love to hear from you. Please post your comments and your questions along the discussion as we think about and engage with these issues. Delighted to be joined by uh, Andrea Williams, founder of Christian Concern, uh, Roger Kishka, Christian Legal Centre, and Michael Phillips, uh, lawyer and also Christian Legal Centre. Hi, Andrea, Michael and Roger. How are you? Great, thank you. Great. Good. So just for a bit of background, um, Labour MP Rupert Huck of Ealing Central and Acton is making another attempt, this is after a failed attempt uh, a year ago, uh, to introduce new legislation that would ban any sort of prayer, protest or support offered to people outside of abortion clinics across the country. Uh, this is in an amendment to the public order bill, which is currently at the committee stage, which Rupert Huck herself um, sits on. Um, in the background, it, it's worth noting that locally, these buffer zones have already come into effect in, in some places like Ealing, where she's from, where I think it's the second largest abortion clinic in, the, in, in London, at least, um, and, and where these restrictions are. Andrea, what's your first initial reaction about this attempt, again, to try and restrict any kind of activity outside abortion clinics? Well, that she never gives up, that this lobby never gives up, that she's absolutely pro-abortion, and that the stated attempt of Rupert Hark and Sela Creasy and a number of the others that are, have signed this amendment to the public order bill is for the de complete decriminalization of abortion. So this is the latest attempt, always using every opportunity, any bill to seek it, to find an amendment, often pushing and pressing um, in places that, they, that, such, that, that don't really fit in order again to uh, really shut down and silence debate on this issue. I think the wording of this amendment is also really very concerning. I mean, when you look at um, what it says, a person who is within a buffer zone and who interferes with any person's decision to access, provide or facilitate the provision of abortion services in that buffer zone is guilty of an offence. So first of all, so first of all, you have a situation whereby once people get to the abortion clinic, once they get there, there is no turning back. There's very much a sense of this. There is no turning back. And anyone that's anywhere nearby um, uh, who might actually be trying to, for whatever reason, um, or point to the fact that there may be something, a different choice, those people are not welcome in that area. So it's a complete sort of silencing. But then we go on. For the purposes of subsection one, interferes with uh, means seeks to influence. So some. So somebody who's in the vicinity who seeks to influence a woman that there is another alternative to abortion is guilty of a Public Order Act offence. 
We then go on to say persistently, continuously or repeatedly occupies or impedes or threatens, intimidates or harasses. Well, we know that no one, we know with all the people that we've dealt with over the years, the pro-lifers in this organization are so pro-women and they don't intimidate, they don't harass, they just provide life opportunities. But look at this wording, advises or persuades attempts to advise or persuade or otherwise expresses a different alternative is guilty even of public order offence or informs or attempts to inform about abortion services by any means including without limitation graphic physical verbal or written sketches photographs records i.e the truth so anyone who's near an abortion clinic who is speaking to a woman about the truth about what abortion is, is guilty of a Public Order Act offence. You know, it's a serious, it's serious, it's just a serious violation of yeah. freedom. Michael. Yeah, no, I was going to say that, um, what is the need for this? Because, yeah. you know, if there was a serious need, then you could, you could understand, but there is actually no need at all whatsoever, because most of those things which they've got there on the proposed legislation already offences anyway. Yes. Um, and so, and if All there the real, was the really, and, and if there was really widespread evidence that there was an additional offence needed, then we would see that, but we just do not see that. And if there are specific places where purportedly, yeah. you know, there is a, there is need of a PSBO order, then an application can be made if there is appropriate evidence, because that's what ultimately laws turn on. Laws turn on whether there is evidence um to justify them in the first place and there just simply isn't it's just an ideological push in order to criminalize people's right to free speech people's right to manifest their religion and the women's right in those circumstances to have a choice because if if they were presented with uh, the fair picture in um when they reached the clinics and so on then you could say well you know maybe there is a need but they don't there is simply no presentation of the truth as to what actually is involved uh, in this process at all. You know, the, the language which is used, the consequences which there are, there it is just hidden from sight. And so that's why people feel the need that they do have to go out there and, and tell these, these women the truth. Certainly. Well, I think what well, certainly you, you touched on it there, Michael, about freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, because as Andrew was saying, some of the things it says is simply just occupying the space outside the um, uh, the clinic would be interfering with. Um, Roger, surely this is impinging on human rights law and, and, and is a violation of that. So surely it could be challenged. I mean, certainly it can. Offer, you know, I, I think we should have... Uh... 150 meter buffer zone so that Stella Creasy and Rupa Hook don't get anywhere near the legislative mechanisms of this country. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it is unbelievable because as Andrea said, once you're in that um, clinic, there, there is no attempt to give you appropriate counseling to make uh, you know a choice that is actually an informed one. Um, it, it is all guided towards an abortion. So this is literally the last chance for that unborn child, to, to, for the mother to see prayer to, to seek counsel from someone who's not trying to push them into having an abortion or, we or maybe know that women do turn around. I mean, women do turn do. around at that point. I, I, I've been part of sidewalk counseling. I've seen it myself. Okay. Um, 
there's a million and one reasons for a woman to, to change her mind. Um, it's such an emotional decision. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. To, to pass the Human Rights Act um, muster uh, in regards to freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, the law has to be proportionate. And there's no sense of proportionality to this law whatsoever. You can't have a blanket ban of people doing law, otherwise lawful things in front of an abortion clinic. Um, so the, I, I don't think this law would have a chance if it uh, went under that type of scrutiny. It's great to see some of your um, comments um, commenting here. Jimmy Hinkson, the, these people are, are dark. Dan did not, our destruction is their goal. Elizabeth Gregory, this has the most ludicrous thing um, ever heard of. I think um, what's an interesting thing, and I only just noticed this when you were reading it out, Andrea, you said, uh, so in the legislation, interferes with is defined as, and in subsection E, advises or persuades, attempts to advise or persuade. So what's fascinating there is they're even distinguishing between attempts and success. So it would be, it would be against the law, they're explicitly saying, even if the woman wants to hear and is persuaded not to go ahead with the abortion, it would still be a criminal offence. Because for them, the moral thing, the, it is, abortion is moral. It's the moral, it's the moral imperative. And to dissuade anyone from abortion, to actually be involved in that choice, to help them to make a different decision is immoral. And it, it, it's this, and, and, and the, again, we've seen, we've seen this around the whole pills by post abortion. I mean, it's interesting um, that they're still continuing with these buffer zones around clinics in some ways, because Abortion is being taken out of the clinics and into the back rooms of people's homes. It's being taken into secret because now the abortion providers more and more are providing women with abortion by sending pills, pills out in the post. Of course, who gets punished here as well? Um, well, it's the doctor that tries, when a woman changes her mind, helps the woman to save her ba baby. That's Dr. Dermot Kearney. I'm sure many of those viewing this and listening into this will know that particular story. So the man that actually provides the woman with real choice, Dr. Kearney, to change her mind after she's taken the first abortion pill, that, that person they tried to take out, they don't want to insure him, they don't want to give him the legal parameters within which to provide that service. Here, those that actually help to persuade people of a, something different at the 11th hour no you can't do that you are, you've got to be out of sight and out of mind so the people that are providing true choice to the women are the ones that are being penalized by the state that's that's what we've got and to try and we've got to keep on speaking about this and we've got to try and break it open it is extraordinary however the the, the lack of understanding around this, the, the lack of uh, understanding around the kind of free speech implications that Roger has pointed out, and just the fact that there isn't more resistance. I mean, I don't know, I mean, who, who has an answer here as to why there is so little resistance? I mean, I always find this slightly um, ironic because on the one hand, you have Keir Starmer, who, when he was a barrister, would advocate on behalf of um, free speech and there are some cases which are associated with him and you think, fantastic, he understands it. You know, even though irrespective of the political aisle, uh, side of the aisle that you're on, he understands. But yet when it comes to these kinds of issues, him, in the past, he has voted in favor of censorship in this particular area. 
So it seems as though free speech is fantastic so long as you agree with my free speech, as in what I want to say. And it's, it's, it's the same thing. And you see this on the ground as well, that people say that they believe in free speech. But actually, when it comes to it, when hearing things which some people might believe are offensive, then they're not prepared to put up with it. And, you know, you couldn't need uh, you couldn't think of a better place than this particular place to deal with this particular issue. You know, and Keir Starmer's famous case, which uh, he defended somebody who was prosecuted for burning a, an American flag outside an American Air Force base. That court made the point that people who protest shouldn't be dictated to as to where they go and protest. And people here who go and uh, want to help other people, what better place could they go than outside a clinic? Not in the town center. This is going to be the pl best place for them to go. And, and now we are seeing a massive curtailment, um, so much so that, you know, what we saw with Christian Hacking, who was a client that um, we represented, and he was arrested for praying outside a clinic, for doing nothing more than that, not engaging in anybody. He was prosecuted for that. Things like that, things like that could be replicated up and down the country in the very near future. So, in fact, we do have uh, a clip of that uh, arrest of Christian Hacking praying. This is in Ealing. Uh, so the Ealing buffer zone uh, where Rupert Huck's MP, uh, and so we will be playing that now. Um, you're saying it's a criminal offence to pray here? I believe that I've given you the answer. Everyone should be against buffer zones because they are affected. Um, you're saying it's a criminal offence to pray here? I believe that I've given you the answer. Everyone should be against buffer zones because they are effectively criminalising peaceful protests in our country. This is Matic Lane. Um, the zone where you're not allowed to pray and actually extends all the way down both edges of the lane. Um, the clinic, just an unassuming white building down there on the left-hand side. They've been, yeah, praying. So all around here is, is where they're not allowed to go, so they can't go in the park or anything like that. I mean, I do think it's crazy that there's a patch of land in London where you're not allowed to pray to God, you know? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're, stand up, you're under arrest. No, I can't stand up, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm not, in a, I'm not moving, so I'm praying. Stand That's up. all I've done. I haven't done anything wrong other than pray, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy, Lord Jesus. If you knew of a place that was killing innocent human beings because they were small or because they were less developed or maybe because they were tragically disabled or because they were just an inconvenience, what would your response be? Well, my response was to pray, and yet I am being charged with a criminal offence because of it. Michael, if you could maybe just explain to us what, what then happened after that. After that yes, yeah, so what happened was this, is that um, he was arrested at the time. He was taken into the police station um, because at face value, it was a breach. It was a crime. It was a breach of the PSPO order. And as a result of the breach, he was then held in police custody for a number of hours and then eventually charged and released. And we went to court and we entered a not guilty plea. Um, as a result of the not guilty plea, we wrote into the Crown Prosecution Service because there were some technical difficulties with their case. And eventually they um, decided to drop it, uh, thankfully. And so therefore they discontinued the case and um, Christian Hacking was going to receive a criminal record. He could have he could have been fined. He could have got community service, could have been prison. But thankfully, it was all dropped. Um, but it was just really a warning that this is this is real. This isn't just something, you know, make believe. This is something which is real. And as a result of this, 
people, Christians and some non-Christians out there, will go to prison potentially as a result of trying to help save somebody's life. You know, I mean, how more perverse is that? You know, the law is there to act in our, you know, to help people, to, 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 to save life, to preserve life. But it's doing the opposite here. Well, that's the thing. I, we, you know, we need to realize that it's, it's a very spiritual battle and it's demonic. Um, a culture of death explicitly trying to stop those trying to save lives, trying to save the lives of the unborn child, trying to protect um, mothers who are mothers. They are mothers um, and trying to love them. Andrew Wilkinson, uh, thank you so much for sharing this powerful comment. My wife had a termination by a Marie Stopes clinic. It was many years ago. She was in a spin and was rushed into the decision. They never gave her an opportunity to weigh up that decision. And one could argue she never demonstrated that she had or could make an informed decision. Consequently, she developed mental health problems and a deep sense of guilt and shame. Well, I mean, as Christians, we have the answer to that. We know that uh, we're saved by grace um, and that um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, the, and the church has a wonderful message to give of life and of forgiveness and of grace. Um, but sadly, it does often feel like the church isn't speaking up. You're asking, uh, Andrew, where is the opposition to this? Where, where, is, where, where, where are the voices? And abortion is an issue that generally as a church you don't hear much about. But we have such a, a wonderful gospel to proclaim and we have a duty to protect the most vulnerable in society when they're being slaughtered. Andrew, what do you think the church, what, what can we be doing? What, why do you think that is? Well, we don't, well, it's, well, why? I mean, you see, me, I, it's, it, I am, I mean, it's, it's strange to think that, you know, I'm almost speechless. How can I almost speechless on, 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 on such a thing? But I don't know what the answer, I don't know why we don't see. I don't know why the church doesn't speak out loudly and clearly on this issue. And I think it must be because we're lukewarm. I think it must be because we don't love Jesus enough. It must be because we don't care passionately enough about the destruction of 10 million, 10 million unborn citizens in our nation since 1967. That number is catastrophic. It's all the major cities in this country outside of London gone. That's the kind of number that we're talking about. It's the whole of Hungary obliterated. It's really serious. And how can there be a move of God in this land when we have that kind of death destruction in our midst? And the Lord, he only really has us to speak of him and to speak of this truth. And Andrew Wilkinson's comment about where it leaves the women, where it leaves so many women, because nobody speaks of it. So if we're not speaking into it, and not offering the women forgiveness or think it's somewhere we can't go for fear of offense, then we don't help people to be healed. So there's a whole, there are 10 million women walking around with the wounds. You know, it, that's also the truth. And if a society says that this is the answer to an unplanned pregnancy and it's not really a baby and everyone is propagandized to think um, an abortion is just the removal of a clump of cells, not the killing, the intentional killing of a human life, if that's the way, if that's the way it's framed and everyone believes it as such, then we, um, then we live in a kind of propagandized culture where the mother's conscience is dull. I know, Roger, you were involved for many years, weren't you, spearheading in Europe uh, a campaign called One of Us, where we were seeking um, to, to have the 
the right, uh, the rights of our the unborn children um, recognised. Perhaps you could just talk about that campaign and. Sure, sure. I wasn't spearing it. I was one of the lawyers in in the court challenge, um, but I, I certainly was involved. And I think, um, you know, no no woman in history, when finding out she was pregnant, has ever said, "Honey, we're having a fetus." You know, we we know it's it's a human being, and then the that's the semantic gymnastics you have to do to dehumanize that uh, child is remarkable. And I think about what's happening in America right now with Roe v. Wade and how the justices are having, um, well, uh, several of the justices are having protests outside of their house. Uh, one of them uh, who had an attempt on his life. Uh, you know, that's okay, but praying in front of an abortion clinic in the UK is somehow, you know, a moral evil that needs to be stopped with a criminal penalty. It's remarkable, especially with the, the, the One of Us campaign, which, which uh, Andrea referenced, that there are millions of people around Europe who are willing to uh, give their support to European legislation, which would have um, stopped the killing of, of probably millions of, of uh, children in the future. Uh, and it was the same type of anti-democratic measures that were used by the European Commission to stop that effort that we're seeing used by Parliament in, in silencing what should absolutely be lawful protests. There is nothing about uh, being outside of an abortion clinic, praying, providing counseling, even protesting that is remotely unlawful when you look at what the case law says on it. Um, I don't think there's it... been an attempt to issue a, um, a, 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 a buffer zone um, around um, a clinic in Birmingham, and um, their 40 days of life have been operative, but they just pray. And I don't know whether it'd be possible for those behind the scenes here to actually show the video, some of the typ typical kind of, some of the stuff that some of the volunteers there are at the, at the receiving end of, and just to see how peaceful they are. Um, I just also wanna just talk about one of my stories, how my, viewers really informed about this whole whole issue and I think it was God preparing me in a sense for this work but um it was back in I just had my first child at age 30 um so that was back in 1995 and there we moved to America for two years and I joined a sidewalk counseling ministry called women for women and I went into downtown Atlanta I, until that point, I'd had this kind of view that it was maybe a bit invasive to go on the sidewalk and to speak to women. But what for me was extraordinary, I saw woman after woman change her mind. And I became very involved with three of them that did on my first visit, three women <laughs> turned around. And I became involved um, in their lives for the whole of my time there, for the two years that I was in Atlanta, saw them through them having their babies, helping them with their homes, taking my little baby Lily in her little car seat down to downtown Atlanta. I still know those women. I still know those children. That but for that but for the ministry of Karen Black, uh, Women for Women in downtown Atlanta. But for that, those they would not be alive today. And these are amongst the most precious relationships in my life now. In terms of the turnaround, they weren't going to be born. And there are thousands, Karen Black has saved thousands of women, literally the women and the children, because those mothers also absolutely love their children. And this is what I want to say. 
I want to say to the church, awake, arise, O church. When you say, Ben, where is the church? Well, we have to be, be that healing house. We have to be where the women are accessing the abortions to say, we'll look after you, as we did at Women for Women. I was visiting those women every single week, providing them, they were you know, in social housing, providing them with food baskets and all the stuff that they needed for their children. This is how we do it, church. It's hard graft. It's really hard graft. But the more people see it, the more that people see the light, the more they will be drawn to the light. And of course, these women and children then get totally, um, they see the love of Jesus Christ. They really see the love of Jesus Christ in action. And they come to know the love of Jesus Christ in action. And they give their lives uh, to Jesus Christ because they see that he's a God of life, not death. And they're not trapped in the guilt because they've been given hope. That's what the church has to do. And it's amazing, powerful, um, Andrea. And, you know, we it's not just those lives that were saved, though. You know, if you think about what happens when an abortion happens, it doesn't just kill a child. It kills kills off a whole line. Because those children's children would never have been born. The children's children children would never have been born. And in fact, you know, history has been changed. Um, yeah. And through all of these ministries, you mentioned Women for Women in, in Atlanta, 40 Days for Life, Good Counsel Network, CBR, um, lives are being saved. Women are being supported and loved and, and, and provided for. And yes, there's so much more that we could do. We need to be um, coming there alongside women, mothers, supporting them, supporting their children, because the world is lying to them um, about all this various messaging about what they're saying about, about mothers and women um, uh, is, is lying to them. Um, so regarding this um, possible amendment, what can listeners and churches be practically doing uh, to um, respond to uh, this amendment? Is there something we can be practically doing? Um, Andrea or Michael, if you wanted to comment on that. I think the first thing that we could probably do is resist um, the present applications when you see them come up, because every now and again, um, there will be an application, place like Ealing, places like Richmond, it could be anywhere in the country. And at the moment, there's one in Birmingham, um, which is a, so a public spaces protection order. It's a, it's a civil application where the council investigates and they put together a case and eventually it can be granted by the local council. And um, I think it's right that we may have some uh, footage from 40 Days for Life who stand outside the one in Birmingham uh, that maybe could be played. Why do, you, why do you think you can stand here and bully girls? Do you know what they've gone through to go in there? Do you care? Do you f***ing go? Don't touch my phone and don't touch me. I'm just warning you. I'm not touching you. you. I'm not you, touching you. you. I'm just, asking you, you why do you think it's phone. acceptable to bully girls? Why do you think it's acceptable to bully a poor girl going in there? Because your f***ing God thinks it's acceptable. I'm not going to engage with you. So. Yeah, because you're not f***ing command. You're praying. You're praying. You're praying to poor girls. Do you know what they've gone through? Have they been raped by a priest? I'll rip your fucking throat out, mate. If you find you around my area bullying girls again, I'll follow you to your house and I'll bully everyone who comes in and out of your house, alright? I'll bully every to your house and I'll be a better bully than you would at all, mate. A much better bully. 
stand up to me. Only standing up to little 18 year old girls. Fucking gut, that's religious. But apparently the pro-lifers are the ones who are harassing and abusing and bullies. Um, it's sad that, you know, that's been given a blind eye, uh, turned a blind eye to. Uh, and that's, that's one example. And that's I think one example. One of, things, um, one of the sad things that we've seen is what's being used in the public discourse and in Parliament is this idea that the pro-lifers, that the Christians are the ones that cause the problems around the clinic. But in fact, we have seen in multiple locations that it was uh, it's organized uh, pro-abortion protesters that come in, sister support, these sorts of groups that come in and deliberately cause trouble outside the clinics. But they are not the ones that are removed or punished. And I know that 40 Days for Life have years and years of experience, the same as Good Counsel Network. They are the most beautiful, the most gracious, uh, God-fearing, life-loving people you could ever hope to meet. And the idea that these people are being dragged, I mean, they dragged Christian um, off the street and into a the back of a kind of riot-type police van, threw his wheelchair in the back, if you saw more of that footage, put him in a cell, you know, a man, a, a beautiful, peaceful, um, God-loving man who loves, wants to save women and children. And that was the treatment he got. And yet this gentleman, using that kind of language, coming against, uh, coming against 40 Days for Life, there's no, there's no recourse for him. Similarly with Centre for Bioethical Reform, they're out. Often their, um, their images are torn down, they're covered up. They're, they're, they lang bad language is used against them. We don't see the authorities watching over them to look after their freedom to speak. Well, I, well, I think it was in, in, in it, I want to say Norwich, or where I think Dave Brennan was told of, of CBR and Brefos was told by the police officer um, if they were to be punched, that it kind of they were they, they were or assaulted, they kind of deserved it because they're they're assaulting people by being there um so um it's embarrassing it's yeah. embarrassing how ignorant the police are you know and, and that is somebody who has got some double training um it's embarrassing how ignorant so many of the people in the criminal justice system are and if you think that that's the police then you know when other people say it's an offense to be offended then of course as soon as you see anything like that you're going to jump and say no 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 um stop it don't say it don't show it whatever, but social uh, justice um, fighters in the past have, have shown consistently that the only way to really change people's minds isn't necessarily by good oratory, but it's by actually showing what it is all about, is by showing images. And without the images, people never really understand. You, you know, you can explain it to somebody, you could argue with them, you could show them the science, but when you actually see it, that's what changes people's hearts and minds and so on, and that's what changed slavery. Tiananmen Square. I mean, that, there's so many historical events that have been defined by an image. Um, images are powerful. They're necessary. And again, to reiterate, I've said it over and over, lawful. They're lawful. Doing all of the stuff in front of the clinics is lawful. And, and 
creating buffer zones and, and these types of things to thwart a democratic right, uh, a recognized human right, is just such a, a, a terrible way to handle you know, government. It's, it's, it's not the way to treat your citizens, um, especially on an issue like this, which, which the courts have admitted is one where you know, hearts and minds speaking to the, the, the life or death of a child, people have different views on that, which are passionate, and it's a matter of public interest, which needs to be aired. Um, and, and I believe that uh, should this ever go to, to a higher court, um, that it will be struck down. I continue to believe that. I would hope that um, Parliament and, and the various councils looking at it will, will eventually uh, feel the same. Um, and I want to say that in terms of what people can do, Roger, is that and we, we encourage our, everyone that's listening to this and those that support Christians that concern, please write into your local MP, write into your MP and ask him or her to resist um, the amendment that's currently in the committee stage um, of the public order bill in Parliament. But we need, we need in Parliament, we need MPs to be talking about this and understanding it for what it really is. You see, unless we raise awareness of the fact that this is going through, again, it's all this thing about, as as, Mike, as both Michael and Roger said, we have to shine light in the darkness, that we have to make people aware that this is going on. So a lot of MPs won't really understand what's going on. They'll be thinking, oh, women shouldn't be assaulted outside buffer zone clinics. They won't think beyond that. And they won't know what's really happening but they are accountable to their constituents. And so it's really important that we make our voice heard. We make the truth known. Because if they don't know the truth, then how can they be persuaded? So that's what we need to do. So as well as Michael has I'm said... Speaking. Yes, sorry, Michael? Yeah, yeah, and, and speak to the pastors. Speak to the people who are ministering at the front of the church. Yeah. And just... You know, I mean, I've spoken to some of the pastors say, well, you know, is it really a gospel issue? And I remember speaking to one young guy, young pastor, and I said, listen, imagine if every week they rounded up in, in our town, say, eight Nigerians and to the police station and killed them. What would you do? Well, you know, I'd do something, you know, I'd pr protest outside, you know, because obviously it'd be horrendous. And I said, but the thing is this, roughly that's how many people every week are lost as a result of abortion in this particular town. About eight per week. And, you know, what are we doing? What are you doing? And he went away, he thought about it. And as a result of that, every week he goes out, um, writes in the local newspaper. In fact, there's two of them now. There's two who are friends in uh, the West of Reading. And this issue is now upon their hearts. Whereas before, it's just another issue. You know, just like climate change or something like that. But now it's on their hearts. So that's what I think. Those are the people that you need to speak to amongst everybody else. Certainly, and uh, we've put there in the comments for you uh, to learn more about the amendment and how you can contact your MP um, with some guidance on how to do that. Particularly, yeah, to particularly, please do uh, write email to your MP, explain them, share the facts, share the stories, undermine the the misrepresentations that there are. Um, every email will make a difference. Write from the heart. Write personally from yourself. Uh, don't just copy and paste. Use our guidance, please do. Don't just copy and paste. Write why this is an important issue. Um, please do um, be doing that.
Um, Andrew, Roger, Michael, do, do any of you have any uh, just final last words uh, before we uh, round up uh, for today? I would just say that, um, you know, as Michael said, for those who are on on just the, the threshold here who don't know why this is such an important issue, I would say, look, look at some of the resources. Look at those women who, who regret abortion. Look at the testimonies of, of abortion survivors and, and you'll see why this matters. Yeah. And the lives that are being saved. Yeah. Yeah. Andrea, final word. Awake, arise, church. Awake, arise. Let's be the, the, the places of hope, the places of healing. Let's speak this out. If we speak this out and mean it, if we seek out the, the lost and call them into salvation, we will see a turnaround in our land. And that's what we're longing for, the great awakening, an awakening to the death culture and uh, you know, a, 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 an awareness and then a resistance to put the death culture to death so that uh, our citizens, the citizens in our nature might have life, no life and the fountain of all life, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, thank you, Andrew, Roger, Michael. Um, for this uh, powerful discussion, vital discussion. And for those watching, thank you for tuning in. And if abortion is something that has affected you in your life, please do uh, cling on to that hope that we have in the gospel, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have been washed and sanctified, um, that God looks upon us perfect, spotless, holy, and blameless. Uh, that he does not give, keep a record of wrongs, but he has washed it clean. Uh, that is a wonderful hope, and we need to proclaim it uh, to our neighbours, to our churches. If you've enjoyed this uh, round the table, please do forward it and share it on your social media so that others can see and hear and learn about it. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, you can click share and like uh, this image uh, so that more can understand why we need to speak out. Andrew, Roger, Michael, thank you so much. And for you tuning in, thank you. And we'll see you next week on Round the Table. <laughs>